It's happy hour again from Uptown New Orleans at the lovely Collins Hotel on St. Charles Avenue. Hello, I'm Grant Morris. In the next 60 minutes, you'll get to meet just three of the many thousands of fascinating people who live in New Orleans, and you'll get to hear some live music, much like the organ we're listening to right now. At the end of the show, you might conclude New Orleans is a great city where people love to talk, have fun, and enjoy great music. But you probably know that already, so let's get right on with doing nothing. But enjoying the next 60 minutes of happy hour together, my three guests sitting around the table here at the Collins Hotel represent three of New Orleans' finest gentlemen. (laughs) Can you believe it? Chancellor Zero Skidmore is the third greatest poet in the entire world. He's a poet and educator from Baton Rouge. Zero represented Baton Rouge at the National Poetry Slam from 2000 to 2010. He's been ranked twice among the top five slam poets in the United States. And in 2010, he ranked third at the individual World Poetry Slam. Check that out. Mm-hmm. The third world greatest. The third, the third world greatest. There were two other guys before me. But still, that's a pretty amazing thing to say, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm proud of it. Zero teaches poetry to teens in Baton Rouge and other parts of Louisiana through the Wordplay Teen Writing Project. Yes. Okay. To my left, Michael Tisserand is an author and journalist. For seven years, Michael was the editor of Gambit Weekly until Hurricane Katrina, which ended his editorial tenure, but inspired his critically acclaimed story memoir, Sugar Cane Academy. Michael is the author of the definitive Zydeco music bible, Kingdom of Zydeco, and award-winning writer for his work about circumcision. What? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah wow. I did. Okay, well, we're going to get off. sliced off a good wow. one. <laughs> Michael is currently working on a biography really of New Orleans born cartoonist. What else do you want? George Harriman. Philip Manuel is sitting to my right. Woo! Hello, Philip. What's going on? Philip is a recording artist, a songwriter, a producer, and a creator of some of New Orleans' favorite TV and radio commercials, including We've Got a Blue for You for Blue I, we, Cross. We've got to correct that. It's that, not right? I actually sang that, but, but, but my very good friend Jeff Epstein did that. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how that got He's a good friend right. of ours, too. On the show, yeah, that well, somehow we ended up Jeff on the He would kill all of us. <laughs> right. Okay, as a writer, Philip has contributed regular columns for the Black Collegian magazine and as an occasional editorial page writer for the Times Picayune. That's going to lead us into an interesting conversation as well. As a recording artist, Philip has recorded a number of albums, including the fabulous Evergreen Swinging in the Holidays, which I play at my place every year, and last year's Live at Jazz Fest, yes, as well wow. as the Luscious School Song we just found out about. Yes, indeed. And today on the Hammond B3 organ, live, instead of the piano, the fabulous, charming, talented, and always gorgeous Mitch Foreman. Mitch. And hungry, I hear. It's all about love, Mitch. <laughs> What's going on, man? Wow, Mitch, right. okay, that was good. That's the first time we've ever, ever, had, ever had a Hammond V3 on the show. It's huge, the Hammond V3. It is. Well, it's my huge. brother had one a long time ago. He had it taken out of its original case and put in a case that he could carry to gigs. It was equally as heavy, <laughs> Yeah. just easier to get through a door, but equally as yep. heavy. That's How do you carry it? Mitch, do you take yours around on gigs normally or just I here? Haven't, I, haven't att- I haven't taken it anywhere yet. Smart man. Just, just sits. I like it. Who invented the Hammond V3? Do you know, Philip? Is it Alexander Hammond? No, I don't know. Johnny Hammond? I don't know. Was it in a... Hammond Field? It was his original name. It was German. I have seen some guys try to carry that thing up the old rock and roll stairs. Remember, remember those stairs? Mm-hmm. That I, we talked. We were talking about obscenities and a lot of cursing. We're going to be doing here. Mm-hmm. It was going on those stairs. I bet. Why would you want to take a Hammond B three around the place? In a, I guess there's nothing sounds quite like it. Yeah, no, it's impossible no. to reproduce. There's no app for that. It's, yeah. it's <laughs> right. It is, it's, it's difficult. It's like reproducing the sound on a Wurlitzer piano. You remember those? Right. I do. Do you notice that everyone's voice sounds the same around this table here? That's because we're it's all It's hard guys. for me to tell who's talking. We're all guys. We're all guys. Yeah, we've... Okay. We're all guys with really good voices. Michael. Philip. It's tough to tell who's who. You said I have a voice like Philip Manuel. You just yeah. Said, you just said right, that to me? You right. sound to me all I'll the same. Maybe something's it. wrong with my hair. I always thought I sounded a- and you like said a I had, girl. You, and you said I had a voice like, uh, like, <laughs> like Michael Tisserand? Yeah. So, thanks a lot, hey, man. So I Philip, really appreciate that. Philip, you do, you're acting as... You're an actor as well. I do do some acting, yes, yes. I have some thes- so, thespian capabilities. So you do voices? I do a lot of voices. Could I do a lot of narration work, a lot of radio and TV commercials and stuff like that. Except the Jeff Epstein one you didn't write that. How did that right. find its way onto the internet? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I haven't the foggiest idea. But that's, the, that's a beautiful song. That's the... Um, we got a blue, that one for you. Yeah, that's the that's Louisiana Jeps. Blue Cross. That's Jeff's. Now you can tell us apart, right, Jeff? 
when he yeah. sings. Whatever your name is, Grant. You can tell us <laughs> apart now, right? Yeah. Once, yeah. He start, once, he sings. once people start singing, we can yeah. start to, to, oh, yeah. to differentiate us. <laughs> we'll start really telling the party. So let's get down to brass tacks. Yeah, come on. Let's what get the, serious. What the hell is going on? What do, let's, let's talk about some serious issues. Okay. I, I have okay. a serious issue. This is Philip. Poetry, okay. I noticed that everything you would, you, when you were talking about Chancellor, was like slam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when did poetry lose its soft edge? You have to ask. When was answer. when 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 did words like missive leave poetry? I mean, um, when Chancellor, when did that happen? Uh, they didn't. <laughs> when nobody oh. could find a word that rhymed with missive, I think that that, that killed it. <laughs> What's the <laughs> definition of slam? Well, a slam is merely a contest. Uh, it's it's only a game that poets play, but it is not a form of poetry. So anything can be recited. Event. Anything can be recited at a poetry slam. What what is a poem? Oh man. Uh, a poem is the art of language. Am I speaking a poem now? No. No. Oh. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say Guys that, that, question, that question was a poem, no. That's, that's it wasn't? That's a good why, question. Why couldn't it be a poem? It could be used a in poem a poem. A poem is an interpretation of a thought or a feeling that's totally outside of what that thought or feeling may actually resemble. And usually there's usage of poetic device, repetition, rhyme, uh, imagery, metaphor, simile. Personification. It has to have all that? No. Either one. Oh, any of those. But <laughs> it can't just be me saying, is this a poem? Right, right. Well, it's an organization of words to create a mood or a feeling. Say, is this a poem over and over again? Then I would have a poem? Then you would have a poem, especially if you change the syntax or, or change the, the emotion behind each line. Or if I change the word that began each sentence, oh, like, is this yeah. a poem? This a poem is, is this a poem? A poem. This is. is this then a I've, poem? Mm-hmm. Is this a poem? You see, that's how that's how spoken words start. <laughs> <laughs> Drunken confusion. Do you start off? Do you come up with an idea to write, Chancellor, or yeah, um, do you come uh, up with an idea to speak? It, 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 we all start out as writers. Um, the, the foundation is the writing, so the writing has to be strong. If your writing is weak, you can be a great performer, but you're going to get slaughtered out there without without solid writing. How did you? How do you get started doing that? I mean, it must take an immense amount of courage. It's like being a yeah, comedian. Yeah, you, 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 you wander into a poetry reading not knowing what's going on, and you, you say, let's, okay. Well, let's talk about you. You, you hear somebody read, and you say, I'm, I know I can do better than that asshole. And that's usually <laughs> the point at which you, you, you work up the courage to get What motivation? <laughs> it's a competition. Is poetry a competition like that? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. who is the asshole that inspired you? Uh, Charles Bukowski is one of my favorite assholes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you thought I could do better than that asshole, or I want to do as good as that asshole? As, as, well, I, I, I don't know if I could ever do as good as, but, you know. So just skip, right, one of the, skip right to better then. Yeah, skip right to better. Okay. So he was the, he was the inspiration for you. He was, he's your he's favorite one poet. Of, I mean, my, my favorite, I would say my favorite poets growing up were like Stevie Wonder and uh, George Clinton. Like they were just, the language was just weird and, and interesting. And uh, I also grew up memorizing a lot, lots of dialogue from movies uh, and listening to my older um, relatives talk. Like the colorful language of Louisiana, mm. is, there's poetry there all the time. What part of Louisiana did you grow up in? Plaquemine, Louisiana. Plaquemine. Plaquemine wow. Parish. Where is that? Exactly? No, Plaquemine. Plaquemine, Plaquemine is not Plaquemine Parish. Parish. Oh, no, no, here we go. Okay. Iberville Parish. Okay, so where's Plaquemine? It's about 30 minutes uh, west of uh, Baton Rouge. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're growing up in Plaquemine, west mm-hmm. of Baton Rouge, and then did you go out of the country and move to Europe or anything? <laughs> no, not okay, yet. Okay, so not how yet. do you... Walk... I just got back from China, though. Did you? With, uh, yeah, I'm a percussionist also, and uh, the brass band that I play with, we, we just did a couple of uh, gigs in Macau, uh, China. Wow. How did you get yeah. hooked up over there? Um, the, the tuba player for our band uh, is the substitute tuba, fl- tuba player for the Dirty Dozen brass band. And so um, he made some connections as he toured with them ah. around, the, around the world. And um, took, took his other business card and said, Yeah, well, you, you know, don't want to book these guys, I got a brass band for <laughs> half right, the price. Right, right. Okay, so, well, you guys can help me on this. So you said that at some point you, you were living in Plaquemine, which is before you went to Macau. And um, did <laughs> right. you go gambling in Macau, by the way? No, no, but Isn't everybody the biggest else casino was. in the world. Yes, they they make four times more money than Las Vegas. Why didn't and, you go uh, to it? We were at the Venetian. I hate gambling. I I, I always want my money back. Yeah, mm-hmm. if it's a quarter, I want my money back. But you didn't I, go into it to take a look at the world's biggest casino. No, I was there. We stayed at the uh, Venetian, um, at the at the Venetian Resort and uh, Casino. Are you a religious person? No, not at all. So you just hate gambling because you just don't like it. I just don't like losing my money. Yeah, well, my I'm mom loves that. it though. 
uh, she would have. I wouldn't have been able to get her back on the plane. <laughs> okay, so this is what I was going to get to with this question here, is that you said at some point that early on you, you walked into a poetry slam and you thought, God, I could do better than that. Yeah, yeah. Have you guys ever walked into a poetry slam? Either of you two, gentlemen? I've, Michael, I've, I've been, I've seen, a, you know, a poetry competition. I don't, not often, but. I've never seen one. Where did you see it? Uh, maybe it was down on Julia Street at. Uh, That's right. True Brew. True Brew. Right. Yeah. Do you go to that, Michael? I've walked into a few local ones. It's been a while, yeah, too. It's been have you walked years. in to get a drink and run into a poetry thing, or did you actually go? No, I actually knew there was a poetry You went down there specifically yeah, to see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A good friend of mine, Chuck Perkins, is a Oh, yeah. Artist, so, you know, I you get know Chuck's Chuck. emails all the Chuck. time. I haven't been to any of his shows lately, but uh, he, you know, Chuck is, he's like so serious about it. The one, I've only been a few times, but the thing that struck me is it's not the... You hear the word slam, you think it's all going to be really aggressive, yeah. loud, uh, you know... And the bad, the bad stuff is. But <laughs> no, <laughs> but, I mean, but, but all em- of it is not. Emily Dickinson could walk in there and do a very good job oh, in a slam. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there were some very, very, very quiet, tender moments. Emily stuff Dickinson that I went to. and slam. <laughs> that guess, goes together. Well, yeah. Do they use the word? Well, poetry and slam are unusual words to have together. No, I guess yeah. they say that to get people to go to it, maybe. Right. Yeah. That's, that's all. That's all. The slam, all slam is is a contest to get bloodthirsty audience members to it's come. Like, it's like all music is jazz. Come out and hear some cool jazz at Papa's new club. Some cool jazz. Everything is jazz. Jazz. But, but jazz is the. <laughs> but least. it ain't. Isn't jazz the least? Okay. Yeah. Isn't jazz the least popular? I mean, commercial form of music in America? Mitch Foreman? Let me say that jazz, jazz, jazz like, like, Mitch, you can go ahead, Mitch. I, go ahead. You, you can answer no, this. No, you got it. Yeah, I think it's pretty, I was just thinking there should be a jazz slam, but I was thinking there used to be like, you know, the old sessions back in the day with Charlie Parker and the yeah. cutting heads. Cutting sessions. Yeah, cutting, yeah. right, right. Mm-hmm. Jazz like classical music, like anything with, with depth requires an in, some intellectual commitment. So in that sense, I guess it's not the most popular music because you can't just bounce to it. And yeah. You can't you just... You can't dance around. You can't, you know... It, it requires some commitment. I mean, you know, you, you can, in the beginning of jazz, when it came out of the blues and out of spiritual music, it had more, it, it had more of that feel in it, and it, it was more accessible. But now jazz is... It's a lot of different things, and you know, if you're gonna listen to it, you got to be committed to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I would say when I listen to bebop, like it's hard for me to keep still. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm a percussionist too, so I'm always well, that counts. My you. hands, my head's what, bobbing. Yeah. What got you to sing jazz, Philip? Initially, when you learned, you, were you? What? When did you find out you had a great voice when you were a kid? Uh, I've been singing since I could talk, so it's second nature to me. But I started singing jazz when, it, I guess, in the early '80s when I started working at this club called. Um, Nexus out on Elysian Fields, and and I was working with with people like David Torkanowski and Victor Goins and Chris Severin, and they were playing that kind of music. So, you know, I grew up on Saturday nights, me and my grandmother listening to Mitch Miller, watching Mitch Miller, Andy Williams, Lawrence Welk. So the songs were already in my head. Yeah. So I just started learning the songs and and. And, you know, I kind of straddle that line and still do straddle the line between R&B and jazz. But that's kind of where I started singing jazz, you know, back it, in the early 80s. Was it a decision that you, would you just, you just, I mean, you were working at the club. You could have easily said, Man, you know, this is fun. I don't make decisions. You don't, your decisions are made for you? Shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> Which, who's, uh, anyway the wind blows. Who's organizing it? Is there someone, is there some grand design? To, to what? To the decisions, if you're not making them. Um, I, you know, I mean, I do make decisions. I was being, of course, facetious, but I make decisions. But sometimes, as I get older, I just kind of, you know, my life is set. I kind of let things go and, you know, come as they may. I don't, I don't try to force anything. Life is short, man. Hmm. It's getting zen. shorter. It's getting zen shorter jazz. <laughs> hey, why don't, we, why don't we play something, man? I'm we, cool with that. You and Mitch want to do it. We haven't really rehearsed this more than about 40, 35 seconds, but I think we can pull it off, do you think? Sure. Let's do uh, Love Is Here To Stay. Yeah, I'm going to do like a rubato intro. You can, you know, just follow along. Give me an E-flat there, Mitch. In time, the Rockies may crumble. Gibraltar may tumble. They're only made of clay, but... 
Our love is here to stay It's very clear Our love is here to stay Not for a year But ever and a day The radio and the telephone And the movies that we know May just be passing fancy And in time may go But oh my dear, our love is here to stay Together we're going a long, long way In time the Rockies may crumble, Gibraltar may tumble They're only made of clay But our love is here to stay you have no idea what's going on here and you're listening to this and you haven't been to the Collins Hotel, we're sitting here around a table that's about the size of a quarter probably and we're right on top of Philip and suddenly you have to just start singing like that. Right. It's pretty intimidating, I would think. <laughs> it is. We're all staring at you. How does it feel to just do that? It looks so easy, of well, course. Well, you know, the ability to do that gets people to ask you to do it for free all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you get invited to shows instead of hired, hired for shows. When you can call up stuff like that, you know, that, that other people can't, you know, whatever it might be, if people need it, they'll call you all. <laughs> they'll call you, you know. But I, I love being able to do it, man. I, you know, singing is, you know, next to godliness. <laughs> what are you, th- what's going through you? When you're singing a song like that, are you thinking about the lyrics? Or are you just enjoying the sound? Or? Um, it's a combination of, you know, I'm, I'm working with a young singer, and I was telling him about what you're talking about. It, it, it gets to a point where you really don't think much at all. Um, where it just becomes second nature. Right. You know, in the beginning, I, I tell singers to remember that singing is words. It's what we have that instrumentalists don't. And a lot of singers forget that. So, you know, they have to connect to the lyrics. And, I, I, you know, after a while, you kind of do that naturally if you sing enough. But um, I, 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 I'm always in tune to, to the way it feels, not the way it sounds. Yeah. If it feels, if my voice feels like it's coming out easy, I'm happy. I don't really care how it sounds. That's mm. cool. You know, as a definite non-musician, I have to say, almost as much as the song itself, I love hearing that little conversation between you and Mitch. <laughs> I know it, somehow you figured out in that little conversation of words I didn't know exactly where to land and how to respond to each other. We you gave each other what you needed to know <laughs> to jump into it. Which well, I was tapping my, my leg to try and keep time, but I don't know. You know, we'll see. Uh-huh. We'll see. <laughs> and two guys who've never, never met before, never seen each other. No. It's amazing. How I you think do there it. was a little bit of that uh, internet delay did not help us. Yeah, sometimes there I was sitting around these microphones, but well, I th- we'll fix it up in the mix there. It'll I'll tell fun. you the next time, Mitch, we'll do it out. I'll, I'll count us off, and we'll just try and stay with that count. <laughs> okay, well we'll try one right. more in a little while. Meanwhile, guys, while we've got a bunch of guys sitting around the table, let's talk about circumcision. All right. <laughs> okay. I'm the expert on that. Ah, uh, yeah, Michael. That's what I, I said. I wrote about that. We I were know. talking about it's, cutting heads earlier. It's, it says that it, oh in this God. thing here. Of all the things, very, I... that was that was perfect. By the way, dude. <laughs> oh, that was like who said that? That's what I'm talking. That was about. good. Yeah. That was that a poet good. zero. Yes, it was. Okay. Yeah. So, Mike, why do you know about these things? You know, of all the things I sent you, I wrote two, three books, two books, working on a third, editor of a paper, one article about circumcision. You jump onto that. Right. I, shouldn't have, I should have started off with something more sort of elegant. <laughs> well, I did an article. Uh, my son was uh, being born, so when I was at Gambit, 
uh, anything I wanted to learn more about, I had signed myself as an editor. You can do that. Uh, oh, yeah? the, an right. article about it. So I uh, actually, I, and I got first place in a journalism contest, which sounds really good. But you know who my judge was? I was really excited at the time was Judith Lewis. Who is that? She, she's the reporter who made up all the WMD stuff <laughs> that led us into the uh, war uh, wow. in Iraq. Yeah. So, but but she was my judge. That, at that point, okay. I was really excited about it. But um, that's pretty exciting. So that was the reason that you won an award. What was the award that actually one. that you won? It was an Alternative Newsweekly award for writing about health. I think something like that. Do you miss not editing Gambit? I miss it a lot, actually. Well, right, right now, Kevin Allman is doing an amazing job, especially right now with the Times Picayune. Uh, fuck fest that's going on right now. So what, he's, he's doing a great job uh, reporting on that, and it's a tough thing to do because everyone's looking at Gambit, going, "Oh no, of course, you know they're kind of a competitor for ad dollars. They're not going to be fair." But he's doing a really fair, specific uh, job because he has—I'll use the word solidarity. You know, he has mm. empathy and feeling for our fellow writers, for our friends uh, that we have over there at the paper and what they're going. If through. you don't know what we're talking about, the Times Picayune, which is a daily newspaper in New Orleans, is—I guess it's not totally going out of business. It's going to go from a weekly to three days a week, allegedly, yeah. and then I imagine after three days a week, it'll go to zero right? at or, some point. Right. It's going to go on to oh, a uh, let's online... not be naysayers. What do, you, what do you think, realistically? You well, it's, going, think it's so? an online publication, and then they're going to have enhanced issues. I think it's One of the evolution. great phrases that's come out of this. What is enhanced issues well, I don't exactly? Think it's, I don't think it's an evolution. It's, I think it's, it's, it's evolution. A, do you? Really not, not this year. I not just, this year. I, I, I just think the, the world is, this is the way the world is evolving. You know. Well, the oceans are rising, but I'm not willing to give up yet. I understand. <laughs> uh, the mountains will crumble. They're only made of clay. <laughs> but our love is here to stay. But I don't think the Times-Picayune is here to stay, because if you look through the Times-Picayune, there's no advertising in it practically at all, except for Rouse's and a couple of car commercials. The newspaper did uh, 10 to 12% profits this, this past year. That's in that's, the middle of a recession. That's, that's pretty, pretty good. good. It's pretty good. Okay, so why are they closing it down? Because they are experimenting with a new business model, and they're experimenting on us. So the experiment is how to make more money by employing fewer people. How to make more money employing fewer people, moving to a sort of real-time reporting where little bits and pieces and, of, of information have the same weight as a nine-part series about for-profit prisons. Yeah, wow. which was fascinating, actually. Yeah, it, which was good, and that kind of stuff. It was tremendous. It was very good, yeah. and, and, and it needed the succession of a day-by-day building tremendous. of the story. Mm. You're not going to get that on Wednesdays and Fridays and Sundays, what and you're not going to get that on the Internet. We can't, if you find it, it's sort of there, but it's equal weight mm. with the you know, obnoxious comment that somebody made about uh, you know, Drew Brees, you know, next to the obnoxious comment that somebody makes. It's all jumbled up to in, in one yeah. kind of unorganized word but mess can you on their stop website. It? But can you stop it? Can you, can you, will it, is there anything Well, the paper's we still making, they, they, can, they can do it because they're still making money. New Orleans doesn't have to lead the way in, in being the first major city without a daily newspaper. It's really Newhouse's decision uh, to do this. And it's, it's, an, it's a business model they're going to give a shot at. Uh, you know, if, if they were putting up a great website... It'd be pretty hard to protest. Yeah. But you've yeah. all been uh, to NOLA.com. Yeah, yeah, stop. They're not doing anything <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. They were scooped by the New York Times and Gambit on even announcing this to their own employee. Yeah, that's the irony. They, they put up a terrible website. They have a terrible business plan. And they're, you know, losing some great writers and great reporters. Yep. And I mean, even, even the ones they don't fire, as we all know, are busy freshening up their resumes right, right now and looking elsewhere. We got off the, 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 the dick-cutting thing, though. Oh, well, yeah, we didn't really get it. Yeah. Well, do well, you want to know? Newhouse is cutting his own dick circum- by his face. <laughs> the circumcision so. of the times picky. I guess that's what... Well, the circumcision is for health, though, isn't it? This is not really for anyone's it's health. It's for fashion, except. actually. Fashion. It's for fashion. Really? Yeah. yeah there's, and there's no health benefits to circumcision. There's, no, there's no. not? No. no. Oh, okay. No matter what they told you. No matter how they convinced you. <laughs> no one told me anything. not touching this one. Literally. <laughs> no, With a right. ten Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I am not touching this one. Okay, have we? Can we move on from circumcision? <laughs> yeah, we, we heard we enough can, about that. Leave. But I will say, you know, I, I was contacted uh, just a couple of days ago by Ann Rolfs. 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 She's the head of the Louisiana Bucket Brigade. Uh, among many people who are not happy with this decision and are trying to fight, not the circumcision decision, but oh. the, the Times Picayune decision. Circumcision decision. Yeah, man, the circumcision decision. I'm feeling that. Okay, write that down. Forgive me. I'm so sorry. she's already she's launched a rally. I know the podcast is going to be available Monday, but yes. if people listen to it right away, 5:30 p.m. at the Rock and Bowl parking lot, there is going to be a. Uh, tailgate rally in support of the staff of the Times-Picayune. Okay. Cool. What does that mean exactly? Is a party? 
It's, it's, it's not a protest because it's not at the Times Picayune building. We're not going to go and burn down the. Well, we, we thought about that, but we figured we'd just try to get there. And it's kick just us off. humanity getting together to support humanity. That segment, okay, of humanity. absolutely. So, who's getting canned over there? What kind of writers? The newsroom writers, or feature writers, or what? Um, little of this, little of that. Little of this, little of that, and a lot of news. I mean, I think it's pretty clear they're going to be going toward more of a, a sports and entertainment model. Wow, uh, you know that's <laughs> that's, that's what wow. we need. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's 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 pretty obvious. And if you look at what they've done in Ann Arbor, if you look at their track record, they've done this before, and you can look and see the results. And it's. It's more frightening than you can possibly imagine as far as what they're going to be presenting the city with. So there won't be. There's going to be some. There's going to be some news. There's going to be some reporting still going on. Um, but I think we can look for a lot of the news writers. And People magazine to uh, to to, to get, get the out yeah. or to or to be put into an untenable situation where they're being asked to do things besides the 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 work that they're so good at the in depth journalism that we need in the city. Did you guys see this morning's paper on the bottom of the page that has all the photos of dead people? And the whatever they're called, death notices. Mm-hmm. Obituaries actually, is the word you're obituary. looking for. Well, they're yeah. not really obituaries; they're just death notices. They're not the you know not the whole article about people who have died and you know looking at their lives. It's just the death notices. So and so died, and mm-hmm. you know. And at the bottom of the page, along the entire bottom of the page, the little bottom inch of the page says, "For up to date deaths <laughs> as they happen, go to nola.com." <laughs> Does it really? Yes, I swear to God. <laughs> Someone's got a paper here. Take a look. <laughs> so that's what we're looking for now. That's it's immediacy se- rather In the last than days. That's the section of the paper I miss all the time. <laughs> the, the I never saw that. The I mean, I see the obit page, but I, I never saw that little thing. I just saw it today. I couldn't believe it. I've never seen it before, but I mean, what kind For of... For all the up-to-date death. Yeah. Come on down. So the times picky and writers are going to get their... Oh, <laughs> thank you. Are going to be called in one by one to learn their fates next week. Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. Your turn. Come in. Wow. So yeah. they're going to keep the music writer with Keith. Come in. Keith Spiro will stay, and I can't make and the drama writers and the art writers, and they're just going to fire the news guys. Or I can't make predictions. You wouldn't I, like I think they're going to pare everybody down, pay people less, uh, give people more crap to shovel. Didn't this start uh, off a long more. time ago, though, when they fired Chris Rose and, and uh, the, well, the other guys who were like these, you know... The early retirements and the severance yeah, phase and yeah. those kind of things. And all the guys who were like, you know, good writers who weren't sort of... Well, things strict. are tough in the print media, no, no doubt about it. So everybody's going to be tightening belts and paring down employees and, and making tough decisions. Just not this tough decision. So this, we should have a news segment on Happy Hour now, then. Yeah, this oh, is, we're this not living could, up to happy Oh, would that right be now. happy? <laughs> yeah, this let's could get be the only way to get the news. Up to date deaths. Come on, get yeah. happy. Up to date deaths. Hey, well, let's, let's move on. Let's do some poetry. All so right. Both of you guys. Chancellor, you're the world's the th- the third greatest poet in the well, entire I, world. Yeah, I, I was in 2010. Well, yeah. not much has changed. Third, the third yeah. greatest. <laughs> how, how, how'd you get that designation? Um, the the uh, that title yes um, well there was uh, there are slams that happen all around the uh, the, the world those the damn slams those damn slams and you have to qualify and if you qualify in your at your local slam then you get to go to the uh, individual world poetry so slam. it's like the Olympics gotcha. yeah yeah and uh, so it's the best of the best where was the big slam uh, I was in uh, that year was in uh, Charlotte North Carolina cool yeah beautiful city. capital of the world. Uh, Chicago, actually, uh, for for most spoken word, that's kind of where Slam started in Chicago. What's the? Did you have to do one poem all the way through, like you do it? At no, each? There, there, there there are different rounds, uh, and then when you get to when you get to individual world poetry Slam, there's a one minute round, a two minute round, a three minute round, four minute round, and you have to complete compete in what we call bouts with other poets to move uh, forward in the tournament. You got to do something for us, aren't you guys? Ready to hear a poem? I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, Come yeah. On. I have something. What do you got? It's you pretty got new. Uh, my, my daughter. I was talking to her right before I got here. She has a first band she just put together, and I was emailing her band name. She needed a band name because she's going over to a venue. Chancellor, um, you only look right like now. you're 22. You can't have a daughter putting together a band. Yeah, she's 20. She just made. What? <laughs> Get the fuck out! Get on. Wow. How old were you when you had this kid? I was 19. I'm 41 now. Wow, hey, you're All in right. good shape. Uh, yeah, that's what they say. But I don't. I don't. Who I have it? pictures of myself when I was 20, and I don't look like this. Really? You don't look as good. You look better now, right? You look 40 then. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> about 40. Let's hear this poetry. What band? Uh, what band name did you go with? And then we'll make you do it. No, I was just giving her silly, stupid band okay. names because I was tired of her nagging me. Uh, so I told her Dreddy Kruger was was one of them. Dreddy Kruger, that's good. Yeah, sort of a, a horror. <laughs> Reggae band. Right, what if, what right. if she takes that one? Can, can can yeah, can can then the comedy can never stops. Can can one <laughs> yeah. What's her name? Shanti. Shanti and room service. 
Henry Thank Room you. There service. you go. All right. All right. I'll let her know. That's Write it down. That's a heck of a band. Yeah. Room, yeah. Service. room service. Have you had that stored up for years, Philip? No, that, you know, <laughs> Just that, that, that comes from Herman Ernest. Herman Ernest. The great, great drummer. Ernest. used to mm-hmm. play with Dr. Yeah, John who passed yeah, he away. Was great. He, that was his name. I can't take credit for room that. Service. Room service. That's the name of a band he had. <laughs> room service. I loved it. So anyway. Chancellor, cool. what are you going to uh, recite? Uh, so this is a poem about my daughter. Uh, it's, uh, it's called Love Talking. You can't tell me that my baby ain't a musical genius, but maybe that's just the love talking. Since her first vocal performance, standing on a chair behind a podium at her grandmother's church with a seven-year-old veteran of a vibrato, I've been questioning my ears about their prejudices, but only getting back racist replies like, the rest of the human race is dirt surrounding my seed, trying to clear the love out of my ears and never really knowing if the Q-tip completed its quest. To me, her voice is part Stevie Wonder and part Liberation, part Tina Marie and part Income Tax Return, part Badu and part Mecca, part Ella, part Helen Keller, all the decent parts of me and her particle of a mother, but maybe that's just the love talking. She divides her time between college and cosmetology school, works part-time as a self-employed weaver of follicle-fueled fantasies, and cranks out tenacious tracks from her home studio on a regular basis, and that ain't the love talking. That's her calendar. That's her caliber. That's her cackle of a laugh when I told her how my mom talks in her sleep, just to make calling my father a jackass, a 24-hour service that only she can provide but maybe that's the love talking me and my mom love talking not surprising that my child grew into a poet her mama was a rolling stone so she's been a scholar of roads since the delivery room often figuring out her place in the world in 30 seconds or less people always want to point out how pretty the daughters are i tell them that a father sees the pretty that makes women dangerous but maybe that's just the love talking she looks like part sunset and part evolution part creole and part creativity part patty Smith and Park Botanical Garden on the first day of spring, the first day of the week. The first day of her childhood was the first day of my manhood. This 19-year-old old soul is a mob enforcer trapped inside the body of a fortune teller telling you what's about to happen. Standing in my kitchen when she was 16, two police officers hanging over her like two pressure systems looking to hurricane somebody, explaining that her mother had legal custody. Shanti took a seat and said, well, I guess y'all gonna have to do what y'all gotta do because I ain't leaving. They did. She's part Angela Davis and part Occupy 632 University Walk. And I'm still being occupied, still colonized by the empire of her strength. She's the princess I conditioned to listen to Prince, but maybe that's just the love sexy tour talking. But my daughter can kick your son's ass, kick the son's ass. She divides double standards by the two hemispheres of her brain. She's part design and part function, part math and part meaning, part handle with care and part warfare, part sojourner and part Nat Turner, part Gilligan and part Island, part Steve Jobs and part Jeffrey Lebowski, part Obama's mother and part Nirvana's drummer. She can produce some prolific writer or step to the mic when it's time to become a fighter. Part Spartan and part great-grandma Dorothy Martin. Part science fiction religion and part Christopher Hitchens. Part Lead Belly. Part Etta James. Part Famous Flames. Part Earth, Wind, and Fire. Part Janelle Monet and part Beyonce because some mornings she's just way too damn diva for me. But I also know that sometimes I might be a little too Chuck D and Flavor Flav. But the ways we behave when days are all sun rays save us from the haze of when it's all shades of grays and Maybe that's just the MC talking, the poet talking, the father of a poet talking, father of a songwriter, father of a producer, father of a singer, father of an MC talking, or maybe it's the love. Maybe it's just the love, or maybe it's both. You know, that's fantastic. Okay. You know, you know what I love. You know, I, feel, I feel like Jimmy Olsen over here. Clark, what are you doing? <laughs> you know what? You know what? It what dawned on me when I listened to you. I, I, I heard you when you finished, and I heard you when you started. Mm-hmm. And, man, I swear it's so reminiscent. And this, I mean this, the highest compliment, is so reminiscent of, of, of preachers in, oh, in yeah. terms of the rhythm mm. that they did. And it's a different rhythm that they develop, yeah. but they nonetheless develop this rhythm. And, and you, you can feel it grow. Oh, you can feel it grow as, the, as, as you went on. And dude, you by the time you got to the end, you were at a fever pitch. That was slamming. I mean, really. That's slamming. a real slam. That's where it came yeah. from. Yeah. That's why they yeah. call it slamming. <laughs> because because that slamming. was slamming. That's yeah, well, it's like I don't need I don't need to hear number one and number two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy with our number three that was here. Really good. <laughs> Thank that, you. That's amazing. That, that that would be like if you could write that, that would be the, the only thing you'd ever write. 
for right. me. You know, you that would, would be right. I'm done. Be, that would be it. I'd finish. That's all the poetry. I'll do my. Just, I'll do my poem now. That's just, right. Yeah, that's just the last. <laughs> that's just the last thing you've written. Well, it's right. pretty new. Yeah, uh, I'm working on a new collection now. Uh, I have about seven new pieces that are about each of them are about four minutes long. And now I have to start memorizing these monsters. Uh, you have to memorize all that? Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of like, you know, muscle memory. Uh, part of it is, you know, it's right. all in your throat and in right. your mouth and in your, your the, movements. It's rhythm and energy, man. It's so yeah. true. That's what I, I guess that's what I'm saying. You, you almost have to have this sense of rhythm about it. It helps with the entire process. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know? what, what makes you stop at poetry and not become a rapper? Um, uh. I think it, well, first of all, it's, it's stop. <laughs> well, I mean, not, not put it what to music. What made me go beyond there. rap and do Thank poetry? You. Wow. Okay. Well put. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Well, some some poets perform to music. The last CD I recorded was all a cappella, but this CD because I, I'm a percussionist and I play with so many musicians. Uh, my next CD, I, I would like to do more musical stuff behind my poetry. Chuck Perkins <clears> does uh, stuff with live music all <clears> the time, <throat> and he's one of my uh, one of my mentors as well. So. Okay. Philip, you write poetry as well. Yes, I do. Let's buddy. take a listen to some bit of yours in a minute. But first of all, I'm gonna, we're going to get Mitch Foreman to play something for us and take a little Absolutely. break. Absolutely. What are we listening to, Mitch? Hey, I'm just going to play a blues. Okay. Just. How about that? Thank you very much. Mitch. Mitch, Mitch. Foreman. Woo. On Hammond B3 organ. The this formidable is a, Mitch the Foreman. The formidable indeed. indeed. The first time we've had the Hammond B3 cranked up here at the Collins Hotel. If you're just joining us for some weird reason, my name is Grant Morris. My guests sitting around the table here are Michael Tizarand, Chancellor Skidmore, and they're also known as Zero with an X, X-E-R-O, yes. and <laughs> Philip Manuel. And uh, if you're not in New Orleans and you're coming to New Orleans and you're looking for something to do or someplace to stay, you can check in with our friends at neworleans.com, the official New Orleans travel site, and get some tips. And if you're already here and you'd like to have a laugh, after two years of shows in bars, museums and parks and wherever else they could, the new movement has opened a full-time comedy theater in the Marigny at 1919 Burgundy Street. Did you guys know about this? I did not. I'm learning right now. Yeah, check it out. They have uh, improv and sketch comedy classes are available. Also, most things are free or cheap. You can check it out at tnmcomedy.com for more information. Also, you can listen to Chris True and Tammy Nelson on the True to the Game show right here on itsneworleans.com. It's New Orleans' first badass radio sportscast. Yeah. Comedy sportscast. Mitch, thank you very much for that music. We have, first time we've had an uh, organ background to he our land, But he, to land, our he landed in there perfect, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, He's the man. Well, it's good to have an organ on your circumcision. Uh, yes, Thank you very much. Oh, my goodness. Oh. So, oh. We'll get, let's, oh. Let's get it is a bi- it's a big, sexy organ. <laughs> so, um, well, let's talk some more poetry. First of all, zero with yes. an X. What's up with that? Uh, I started doing poetry in the very early 90s, and all of the poet, what was popular then was to have like a, a, a kind of a catchy, flashy stage name. And I didn't have one. And all of the poets who they had, there was there were a lot of very self-aggrandizing, uh, you know, my name is Truth, and all of this this stuff. And so, 
I kind of wanted to go in the opposite. Where, where do you go from there? <laughs> right. You know, I kind of wanted to go in the opposite direction. And I used to work in a paper warehouse. And I, when I wasn't working, I would steal Xerox paper and, and hide in the racks and write poems. And so I, I just dropped the last X of Xerox. And Zero. So. Lucky you didn't get a season to assist. Yeah. Dude, have, right. you, have you yeah. ever considered, like, stand-up? Uh, uh, no, um, I'm only funny on accident. Uh, but I, I really like, like I grew up memorizing like Richard Pryor, uh, Bill Cosby, uh, George Carlin. That's your next. That's Speaking your, of that's poet. your next life. Oh, it is. What well, uh, made you, what you made find you the part share? of being a poet is people keep saying to you. So have you thought about rap? Have you thought about stand-up? Have you, have, have you thought about uh, the service industry? Well, he's just naturally funny, and he's quick. Narrowing, you know? yeah, narrowing yes. shit down, yeah. Preaching, yeah. preaching. Along with being preaching? a good writer. I mean, he's just quick, so that, that helps. Did you, did you go to school for this? Oh, no. Um, I, but I, I have, like, for the past maybe 15 years, I've hosted a lot of open mics. and uh, so you didn't, I hosted not a, a college, jam section. So I'm, I'm, I've not always been grad. on my toes. And, no, not, so this I'm is a, a good out. reason. This is a good reason not to go to college. You can be <laughs> super intelligent, literate, and an incredible performer and never go to college. Well, I, poetry, you would I, think, I, is... For me, not going to college, uh, I remember going through a phase of uh, feeling very... Um, feeling very stupid. And not you know yeah. I, I move in a lot of circles with people with lots of college degrees, and so uh, I, it, it kind of pushed me to self educate. And so I think quite often when people get a degree or two, they stop educating themselves. And, and, that, and, and now you teach poetry, right? Yeah, and I actually end up quite often on LSU's campus <laughs> teaching uh, without a without a college degree. So um, how do you teach poetry? What is it? What do you teach people? Um, well, how there's a, a typical writing workshop. My approach is is on. Uh, uh, model-based. So I'll find a, a good model text, like a, a, a Patricia Smith, Billy Collins, or Charles Bukowski poem, uh, one that uh, highlights a specific uh, technique or device, and I'll bring that into the classroom, share that with the, uh, with the class. Uh, there will be... So they're holding that copy in their hand. That's the, for the tactile learners. We're going to read it silently. That's for the visual learners. Tactile, we're going wow. to read it out loud. That's for the, the audio learners. And um, <laughs> and, and we're going <laughs> to have a conversation braille, about it. And after the conversation, we brainstorm together. Uh, because when they write, we want it to be personal. Traditionally, teachers try to get young people to write about what they want, to, want them to write about. And so I try to get young people to connect this to the narrative of their real lives as, as they live <laughs> out in the world. And... Um, and so they make it personal, and, they, and then we give them about 15 minutes uh, to, to write, to do a free write, rough draft, and then we share, which is another big component of teaching poetry to young people. I, traditionally, I, um, I teach middle schools and high schools, so they're very social, and they really care about what their friends think, and so I use that. I get them to share their writing with their friends uh, as opposed to just writing a rough draft, handing it to the teacher. Mm-hmm. She grades it and sticks it in some folder that nobody will ever see again. And, um, and I also coordinate big events, open mics, poetry slams for young people so that, again, they have a, a bigger platform. They're sharing their work with their friends and with the community. And um, this really ramps up their engagement in, in writing. And, and they get to a point where now they're writing on their own. Nobody's telling them to write. Nobody's telling them to read. They're reading because they want to become better writers. And um, it's kind of like what we do with the football, right? Kids stay hours after school and work really hard and sweat in the sun because there's going to be a game Friday night and all my friends are going to be in the stands. And, and after the game, everybody's going to be high-fiving me as I walk down the hall. So we create that for poetry. And so it creates this literate community in which young people are being applauded and praised for their wit as opposed to their brawn. Um, wow. That's yeah. beautiful. Well put. So do, you, do you find that uh, for the high school and middle school students you work with, that the language of texting... And Facebook, again, social media has infiltrated their language. And when they come to write poetry, they're using that, no, that they're, stuff in, in, in their, uh, no, in their work? What they're doing is code switching. Mm-hmm. The same way as you speak another mm-hmm. language, you can speak two languages, you can speak three languages. And so for my young people, they'll participate in that language when they're texting. And then when mm-hmm. they're writing, they participate in that language. And so... Um, Separate streams, huh? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 not, it's, doing, it's, it's not doing anything but making them more literate because... Mm-hmm. You know, I, when I walk into a class and I say, who likes to read just for fun? They sometimes, not a lot of kids raise their hand. I was like, who read a text today? And everybody's raising their hand. I was like, that's literature. 
That's a, and, and I grew up reading comic books primarily. And, you know, when I was growing up, nobody considered that serious literature, you mm-hmm. know, and now graphic novels win awards. <laughs> so, you know, it's just uh, there's always this lag in the next generation uh, validating what the younger generation is doing as an art form or as uh, or what is considered to be intellectually sophisticated or, or acceptable. But, you know, there you, know, you have to validate when you walk into the classroom and work with young people, you have to validate their culture mm-hmm. because you're participating in their culture. You're outnumbered in the classroom. <laughs> how so did you, how did you learn all? How did you figure this all out? I continued to educate myself after trial I dropped out of college. Yeah, trial and error. I started with dropping out of college. First thing like. you realize <laughs> about first thing you realize about young folks is that they don't trust you. And you can't lie to them. No. They they recognize a lie in any form. It, be it an expression, be it in a sound, be it in a, the way you move. They we know knew, it. So we you, knew when our we knew when our parents be real with young folks. Yeah, you know? you we knew we knew when we were being bullshitted when we were teenagers, and they know. You know, Philip, you got a bunch of poems on your knee. Well, I'm only going to read one, of course. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> How I, I often? I was trying to decide yeah. which one to read. I'm going to read the longest one. <laughs> yes. Okay. I, I have a thing with flowers. While I, I'm really, I really love flowers. I'm always sad that a flower's life is so short. Mm. Um, So I wrote this poem about a conversation that a rose had with the sun. And it's called A Rose Sat Meeting with the Sun. I'll try and be brief for you podcast people, but it's, you know, (laughs) here goes. Today, a rose sat meeting with the sun, somewhat nervous this new friendship he'd begun. While still green, the bud had known the warm embrace. Now with gloom and glee, the purple knot and the sun meet face to face. Duly impressed, you are larger than the eyes can see, said the bud, explaining further, considering your proximity. Why hold you so tight? Let the other ones know of me, spoke the sun to the bud. I'll just warm them and let them be. My peddlesome friends should rest another day or two. After all, it's important that we look our best for you. Did you know, said the bud, concerning the order of life, Our master planned that we bloom by day and rest with you at night. He said, no one will see you when the moon lights the wanderer's way. So go in, rest the night, because short are your days. And each hour that you find rest, moon to sun, comes an hour of light time that you will have won. But it seems, spoke the bud, that once my fragrant friends appear and they meet with you, son, as I'm doing here, so impressed, nay, be it awe at your effect on them, that they wait through the night and they refuse to go in. But dark carries a chill, and of course everyone knows the shade and the chill are no good for a rose. And if one were inclined to look in on them, you'd see roses shiver each there on its stem. Yet for a day or two they awake at your pace and bloom full of beauty delivered by grace. Now the days of a rose are somewhat numbered and fixed. The original plan said we should bloom five or six. But alas, said the bud, as the very first rose did too, we've suffered the moon while waiting for you. And the days of our bloom, though they should be more, were bought by the night waiting at dusk's door. And as the rose sighed a dewdrop, concluding its story, it gave in to the sun for two days of glory. Wow. Wow. Beautiful voice, man. Yeah. Everyone's got an amazing voice. That's what I said at the beginning of this thing. Um, wow. What, so that was inspired by flowers giving their lives for your yeah, I, enjoyment. Well, you know, I, 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 another flower poem I wrote one time, I happened to turn and see an azalea at the precise instant that it separated from the stem. So I wrote this poem called An Azalea's Lament about this relationship between the stem and the azalea. And the azalea, of course, was boasting of its beauty and that the stem was nothing but a, just a stem without me. And, you know, it was, it's a, anyway. How often do you write poems? Well, you know, poems are a compulsion. I, I, I write only when they, when they come up, when something moves me in a certain way. I wish I, wish I was like Stephen King and could write every <laughs> day. And could write every day. I don't think Stephen King's got much of a singing but the, voice. But the only reason I have all my poems today is because I've actually decided to publish them in a book, mm. in a tabletop book use, with my son's photos and about 35 of my poems. So I happen to have them with me today. I, well, I, good I, chance. I really, Your son's a photographer? My son's a cinematographer, but, oh, he, cinematographer. but he, takes, he also takes great photos. Yeah. When are you going to publish that? I don't know. I just kind of got the idea in my head today. Yesterday, I started writing 
brief descriptions for the poems that require descriptions, what, you know, what made me decide to write them, what motivated me to write them. Michael's written a few books. I have written a couple books, yeah. Yeah. A few. What mm-hmm. motivated you to sit down and start writing? Uh, the first one, uh, I saw these other guys doing it. I said, that's terrible. I can do better than that's that. That's right. <laughs> was, it, was it Jules' book? <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the motivation here. I can do better than that, asshole. You know, I think my first book, I really wanted an entry. In, I was living up in Minnesota, and I started to write about Louisiana. I really wanted an entry into New Orleans. My first article professionally was a profile of Irma Thomas. Uh, then wow. you know, came to New Orleans and started writing about Cajun and Zydeco music, and right. along the lines, mm. everything's been connected. I'm, I'm currently working on a biography of a cartoonist, uh, George Harriman, who came out of Treme, did a comic strip called Crazy Cat. Again, uh, what got me into that is is an entry point to come into New Orleans and try to get to know the city and its cultural life a little bit more intimately. Uh, and sen- and so- also, I can't sing. So I had, to, I had to do something. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about George Harriman, because I don't know anything. Do you guys know who George Harriman is? I've heard no. You're man. reading comics, right? Uh, yeah, I grew up reading X-Men, uh-huh. <laughs> Spider-Man. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, well, I, actually, Stan Lee, I talked to Stan Lee for this book, and he wow. said he was influenced by George Harriman's wordplay, that George no Harriman shit. has a sense of language that Stan Lee kind of, uh, kind of drew from. Wow. Um, George Harriman worked for the Hearst newspapers from 1910 to 1944 when he died and created a comic strip called Crazy Cat, about a black cat that uh, was in love with a little white mouse. The white mouse would throw a brick at the black cat. The black cat would fall in love with the white mouse. The pup would protect the, the, the cat because the pup harbored an affection for the cat and would jail the mouse. And that was a story for about 34 straight years with endless it's variations. Like a soap opera. Uh, it's like family circus. But it was done with... Con- <laughs> it, we kind of, with, 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 without Billy. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, George, but George Harriman came out of, out of Treme. He was born here, moved. Uh, he was, came out of that uh, free people of color population in the 19th century. Uh, went on, had a very interesting life, and I uh, saw his work. It's, he's considered the finest cartoonist of the 20th century. Uh, wow. he's, he's large, and people kind of don't know that. He's he considered came out that of the by city. whom? Who can, who can the Comics that? Journal did a poll, did a, a sort of expert poll, uh, and it's ranked Crazy Cat, uh, yeah, Crazy Cat first, and Peanuts uh, came second. Whoa, okay. So, and he's our guy, and people don't know about that. So that's what I'm working on now. It's for HarperCollins, and it'll probably come out next year. Wow, that's so you spend all day. You actually got a publisher, dude. That's what I'm talking (laughs) about. You guys need to talk to Michael. Yes, indeed. How uh, um? What do you do all day then? I really? read old comics and look up uh, my and go blind looking at microfilm uh, reels of old newspapers at the Tulane Library. And what are you writing about? I mean, what is it to say other than what you've just told us? Other there's more details, but what do you do all day? His, his life, his life and art. It, it's a combination of, of teasing out details about his life and trying to interpret his comics. Uh, uh-huh. you know, they were not autobiographical, but in some ways they're deeply personal. You know, when I when I realized I put together. His, his daughter died early, and he was in love with his daughter. It's, I guess his deepest relationship in his life was with his daughter. Uh, she died very young. And I, and I said, okay, let me look at his comics on that day. And he did hmm. a beautiful comic about Crazy Cat going out, and a star falls from the sky. And he looks hmm. and says, it's just a baby star. It fell too soon. Wow. So he attaches a, 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 a helium balloon to the star and sends it back up. Uh, you know, that, was, wow. that was done the week after his daughter died. So it's, it's trying to figure out his life and his art and put them together. Wow. Yeah. I have a question for you. I'm 25,000 words into a book. Yes. When, uh, fiction when, or nonfiction? It's nonfiction. Uh-huh. When you write a book, do you go back and rewrite it? Constantly. I mean, do you, like, finish it and then go back and... and oh, even after it's published? Yeah, and no, after, no, after you finished your right. first draft of it, do you go back and starting from scratch almost, I mean, just really add, take away, add. I mean, just almost re- rewrite. I mean, do you do that? Is that a part of the process for you? Constantly going back. It's sort of, you know, one step up, two steps back. Then I don't feel well, so bad. No, I spent today doing just that, going over a chapter right. five at our brand new beautiful Keller Library over in Broadmoor, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. Uh, wow. But, but, but yeah. sat there doing this work and... Uh, and it was all just going back and back and yeah, okay. back. Well, what I, tell my, I tell my the students... The sentence I thought they, was beautiful turned out to be crap. You know, that kind when of it right. comes to revision, I always tell my students, a poem is never finished, only abandoned. Uh, wow. Man, that's, <laughs> yeah. I like that because that, that is true. Yep. Yeah. That is true. Well, someone else told me once that writing is what you do for fun and rewriting is what you do for money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But I think what your question was, Philip, was do you write the whole thing and get to the end and then don't read it until you get to the end? Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, yeah, well, I, I guess as I'm writing this book, I know 
that when I get to where I think the end is, I'm going to have to go back and just really fill it with the stuff that, as I read it, I'm going to think about and say, oh, I need that there. Mm, I need right. that there. And so it's almost like adding another book on top of the book. But that's the creative process, is that you're discovering it. I don't know. That's why I'm asking Mike, because he's done it. Well, first I, do it, first, it. first I do my rewriting on the screen. Then I print it up and do my rewriting on the page. And then I send it off to whoever my readers are going to be, get their comments, come right. back, do that rewriting. And then the publisher gets to see yeah, it. Yeah, I do it on screen. I'm doing everything on screen now. And, and I think I it was changes just wondering about when, the you, process. when you print it and look at it on a piece of paper, it changes it, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, do you it find does. the change? When I want to read it, really read it, I do print it out and read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know. Now, Zero, what yeah. about you? Because Zero, you, have to, you have to be a little bipolar, I think, uh, as an artist, because that, that epiphany of the, the rough draft is like that's that happy kind of, you know, this rush of this, this idea that came out of nowhere or this this small connection of thoughts that, that just kind of came together seemingly magical in your head. And then you go into the rewrite, the revision phase, which is kind of this, this you go into this dark cave and you just look at every line over and over again and tweak words, make very small changes sometimes. And that process is very depressing. <laughs> so, is it? Yeah, it, it can be if you're doing it right. If you're, if you're really kind of banging your head against the wall trying to trying to break new ground, trying to push yourself in places where you've never pushed yourself before, then, yeah, it, it can be very depressing. and It, it can be hard, mm-hmm. I would say. And so uh, I, I kind of tend to write a lot of rough drafts when I'm in a kind of a chipper mood and do a lot of revision when, uh, when you know, it's raining outside or something. I don't know, I, I think. Yeah, but yeah. It's, there's this definite give and take when it comes to writing and revision. Hey, we've got time for one more song. Do you feel like singing one? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Mitch? I feel like hearing one. Yeah, me too. This is yeah. exciting. Uh, I wish you love, Mitch. I wish you love. In let, the book you were in. Hey, we're, I, we're I've, in. I've, I've moved to a new instrument. Okay. <laughs> really? So, Cause, yeah. Cause, I'll, I'll, yeah. Let's, I'll let's, explain why. Later, let's do but. it like maybe like a light sound. But da, da, the, you know da. what? I, I think anything in time, we're gonna, I recommend we do it as a ballad. Okay. And, and, and at a certain point, you can just ignore me. Okay. And then, and then it'll work out. Well, give me an F. Free rhythm. What? What? You, uh, uh, right. That's I, okay. That's that's okay. an F. Okay. You ready? That's F. I'm ready for you. I wish you bluebirds in the spring. A little song your heart can sing, and then a kiss. But more than this. I wish you love And in July A lemonade To cool you in Some leafy glade I wish you health And more than wealth I wish you love My aching heart and I agree That you and I could never be So with my best My very best I set you free And I wish you Shelter from the storm, a cozy fire to keep you warm, but most of all, when snowflakes fall, I wish you love. Man, you sound so good. Wow. You too. That was fun, huh? Thank you, Mitch. Uh, what, a, what a crazy show. We'll try it in the same yeah. room next time. <laughs> That's been an amazing happy hour, you guys. I think that might be the most uh, serious happy hour we've ever had. Seriously well, but happy. But was it happy? I, I'm it was happy. Seriously happy. I'm All happy. Right. I thought it was, it was enlightening, interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
and serious. You have to meet some great guys. Musical. Yeah. Pleasure to meet Thank you, man. Thank you very much. Yes, Mike. Good to see My you. My guests on Happy Hour. Great meeting you. Uh, Chancellor Zero Skidmore. Well, I want kids to learn from you. Michael Tizarand okay. and Philip Manuel. Our show is produced by Melinda Hawes, Anoush Karun, Trish Kaufman, and Graham DePonte. Our associate producer and technical director is Chris Kehoe. Christian Unruh is our music director, and Cliff Brigden is our web designer. And Link to the Real World, Mitch Foreman wrote the theme that you're listening to now and played all the instruments on Happy Hour. If you'd like to be on our show and you can stay upright for about an hour, drop us a line at itsneworleans at gmail.com. Our show is recorded live at the Columns Hotel. You can check out our other Happy Hours and other shows, Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti, live from Commander's Palace, Mindset with psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic, and True to the Game with Chris True and Tammy Nelson. They're all on itsneworleans.com. You can keep up with us by liking It's New Orleans on Facebook, you can follow us on Twitter, and you can subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. Happy Hour is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For Mitch Foreman on Piano and Hammond B3, I'm Grant Morris. Thanks for joining us on Happy Hour. We'll see you back here next time. <laughs>